do ask that you bless this time in the study of your word. We thank you that we've been able to go through this book um, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And tonight we continue to, to desire to do that as we open our hearts to you in your word. So, Lord, may we just settle in. Um, we've had a wonderful time of worship and just drawing close to you. But, Lord, now we want to hear from you. So bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we've gone through 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel is just really an incredible book. And I know I've been tremendously blessed looking at this book, reading through it and studying it. And I hope that you have as well over the last several weeks on Wednesday nights as we've gone through 1 Samuel. And we have seen a very important part of their history where they would end the days of the judges. We know from the book of Acts as Paul was giving his testimony that he would indicate that the days of the judges lasted 450 years. So Samuel, who was one that was a godly man, raised in the tabernacles we saw there at Shiloh. He was the spiritual leader of the land, but also he was the last judge that was on the scene. And they would come to Samuel and they would say to him, the nation, that we want to have a king that rules over us because we want to be like the other nations. And it broke the heart of Samuel and Samuel went to the Lord and the Lord said that they haven't rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. I wanted to be their king. And of course, that's what the uh, word Israel means. That's why God called his nation Israel. Israel means governed by God. I really wanted to govern them, but they've been in rebellion. They have resisted my leading them and really ruling over them ever since I brought them out of Egypt. And so there was uh, Samuel told by the Lord, grant them a king, and who you're going to anoint as the first king of Israel is going to be Saul. Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. He was from a family that was well known they had a good reputation he was head and shoulders above everybody else and it seemed like that Saul when he first began as king that he was going to be a good king he was very capable he was humble before the Lord we know that it was Samuel that would speak to Saul privately and I'm sure that Samuel would give him God's word encourage him to follow after the Lord and to to um, to make the Lord the priority and to follow after the law. And so we see that over time that as it would be Saul, the, the king, now seen as the leader, he would bring victory to the children of Israel. He seemed to have courage. He even gave the glory to the Lord. He showed wisdom. But then something happened. And what happened was is that he began to focus on himself. And he began to want to prioritize looking good before the people he would begin to set monuments up for himself we see that in chapter 15 as he built a monument for himself after he defeated the Amalekites giving glory to himself He, he began to really be concerned with how good he looked before the people instead of fearing the Lord and looking good before the Lord in other words being humble before him And so what happened was in chapter 15 is we saw that there was a a change as Saul continued in his disobedience. He would give those unlawful sacrifices in chapter 13. He would be disobedient in, uh, in the instructions of the Lord to destroy all of the Amalekites and all the spoils and all the sheep and oxen, that is. But Saul didn't do that. 
And when Samuel confronted him, Samuel would say to Saul, the Lord has taken the kingdom from you, Saul, and is going to be given to another man after God's own heart. And at that point, we began to look at the life of David. And David, just a young teenager at that time, anointed the king of Israel. But of course, he did not ascend to the throne immediately. It is David that even though God was using him mightily as, as a young teenager, he would go and minister to Saul in the palace. Saul, because of his disobedience a distressing spirit came upon him and it was David that ministered music to him it was at the end of chapter 16 that we see that Saul loved David David was his armor bearer and then David in chapter 17 of this book which slew Goliath. We know the, the wonderful story there of, of David and his sling that would take down the champion Goliath. And then it was David uh, that was used to begin to defeat the Philistines. And as David's popularity began to grow, as God's hand was on David, it was obvious to the nation. And the people were singing songs to David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And it was at that point that Saul became bitter and envious. He became full of anger and, and, and jealousy towards David and pursued David. So now as we come to chapter 30, David has been pursued by Saul for 10 years. David has been in the land of the Philistines for almost 16 months, and David is in a situation where he is compromising. So there is Saul relentlessly pursuing David through the wilderness all those years. So 1 Samuel, we see the running of David. When we go into 2 Samuel next time, we're going to see the reign of David because Saul's life is going to come to an end. And David was one that he trusted in the Lord that I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed because David had opportunity to put Saul to death twice, but he did not do it. He withheld his hand. He said to Saul, what have I done? What have I done, Saul, that I deserve this, that you want to kill me? If I've done evil, then let me know. But it was David, as we have seen very clearly going through this book, that behaved very wisely and godly towards Saul. And it was David that said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. The Lord put you as king. He respected that, and the Lord's going to take you out as king, and I'm not going to raise my hand against you. So David was a man who desired to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. But we also know that David, he is growing, and he's had struggles, and he's had shortcomings and failures. And what we have seen is in chapter 27 that David would go to the land of the Philistines, and he would be deceptive. He was trying to get away from Saul. He said in his heart, he didn't seek the Lord at that time, but David said in his heart, now that I'm going to perish at the hands of Saul, so I'm going to go to the Philistines. I'm going to go to Achish, who is the king of Gath, and I'm going to deceive him to think I defected over to the Philistines. And as he did that, it was Achish that gave David and his 600 ragtag renegades that are running with him, Ziglag. And so they've been in Ziglag. We know that the scripture tells us that they were there for 16 months. And David would have these raids against uh, the Amalekites and against the Gershurites and Gerzites and the other enemies of Israel, he would come back and he would lie to Achish. He would say, well, I've made raids against Judah. And it was Achish that was convinced that David was helping the Philistines. But David was living in that deception. He was living in that compromise. And it's interesting, as I mentioned you, to you this before, but David never wrote a psalm 
to the Lord that we have recorded in these 60 months. It was there in the Philistine territory there at Ziklag. And I believe that David was there. You know, he received the, the immediate goal of re- having relief from Saul pursuing him. But he continued in this state of compromise and deception is what he did. And Saul, he was one that he continued in his bitterness. He continued in his sin. But there was a difference between Saul and, dif- and David. And that was Saul didn't truly repent. And Saul would say the right words, it seemed like. He would say that he was sorry. But you see, with repentance, there's going to be action. And we see that when David, his shortcomings, and that's one of the things that I love about the Old Testament, that these men of faith, and David, a giant of the faith, that it records their sin, it records their shortcomings, it records their, their failures. But yet what we see, what made David a man after God's own heart is he truly repented. And I believe that's what we're going to see as we move here into chapter 30, that David is going to end up repenting. Now, remember that it was Saul that in his unrepentance, in his turning away from the Lord, rebellious heart and hard heart towards the Lord, the Lord wasn't speaking to him any longer. So in chapter 28, what we saw was that it was Saul that sought a medium, a spiritist, to call up Samuel. And so uh, this, this witch of Endor would call up Samuel. And again, whether it was Samuel or not, we don't know for sure. I go back and forth. I was talking to a couple people this week. Sometimes, well, the narrative says that it's Samuel. Uh, other times, I think, no, it wasn't. But the thing was is that as Samuel came up, and, and there is Saul, seeking, you know, the the occultic kinds of practices to try to hear from God. The main thing for you and me to remember is God says, stay away from those things. And I don't want anybody to go away thinking, well, I can talk to my godly relative or something by seeking occultic kinds of practices. The Bible is very clear. It says don't have anything to do with those things. So here is the message that is given to Saul. As we saw in chapter 28, that Saul, you're going to be killed tomorrow, you and your sons. And so he was very much afraid. So the Philistines at this time, as we move into chapter 30, they're mounting their troops. They've become very, very strong. Here is Saul. He's very much afraid. Let's begin to look at this. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way so we ended last week in chapter 29 with david and his 600 men marching before the lords of the philistines as they're getting ready to go to war against israel and they were rejected it was the lords of the philistines that would say to Achish, why did you bring david why did you bring his men here we can't have him fight because he'll turn against us tell him to go back to ziglag so it was, even though Achish and the other lords of the Philistines were still thinking that David somehow had defected to them, David continued the deception, it was the Philistine leaders that said he can't go to war against you know, his brethren. He might change his mind in that war. But as David is marching back, it's a march of about 25 miles, three days, he comes back to Ziglag, him and his men, 600 men, and all of a sudden, as the Philistine troops are mounting up north, and that's where they were, they're near the Valley of Jezreel. They're near Mount Carmel. Remember Mount Carmel in 1 Samuel 15? That was the place where Saul made a monument to himself. Look how great I am. I defeated the Amalekites, and now he is a man full of fear. 
and the Philistines are mounting their troops. And, and so as they're up there, it left a vacuum. And so the Amalekites, they come in from the south and they attack Ziglag. They burn the homes of David and his men. They take away their wives and their sons and their daughters captive. And you, can you imagine as they come back, this three-day march, and all of a sudden in the distance they can see the smoke rising in Ziglag. And it's like, oh no, something bad has really happened. And they run to the city and all of a sudden their families are gone their possessions are gone their homes that they had there during that time are burnt down and i just wonder if the men if they even knew if their family members were alive wondering you know were they taken captive were they killed somewhere the scripture says here in verse 2 they weren't killed but david and his men probably didn't know it at this time in verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoham, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And so you can imagine just what they were feeling, just uh, the, the grief and the pain and the and the sorrow of all of a sudden we were gone and our families are gone, our homes are burnt down, and we don't know what's happened to them. They say that the greatest grief that a person, the greatest stress that a person can go through is the loss of a child, and close to that, secondly, is the loss of a spouse. And can you imagine the pain that they're feeling because their spouses and their children are gone, and they don't know what's happened to them. And so they're greatly grieved, as the scripture says here. And they wept and lifted their voices until they had no more power to weep. It just took them out. And I imagine that perhaps some of you have gone through loss and pain to where you wept, to where you couldn't weep anymore. That's what they were feeling. Who were the Amalekites? Again, to remind you, the Amalekites were the ones that Saul were to utterly destroy. Saul, destroy all of the Amalekites for what they did to my people in the wilderness wandering. And so we know from the book of Exodus that it was the Amalekites that would do war against the children of Israel as they were in the wilderness. And of course, Joshua was doing the battle as Moses is up on the mountain. He has his arms up, and as long as his arms were up, then they would have victory. We know from the book of Deuteronomy that it was the Lord that pronounced judgment on the Amalekites because of what you have done to my people and sneaking up on the rear of the people and picking off the weak and the stragglers and you're killing the women who are pregnant. That's what the Amalekites were doing, very evil towards God's people. And so, Saul, I want you to destroy all the Amalekites. But Saul didn't do that. He was disobedient. And all of a sudden, over the years now, the Amalekites have had ch a chance to repopulate and, and to be strong once again. And they're back here in the story of 1 Samuel, taking the, the wives and the families of David and his men. In verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So here they are. These men of David wanting to stone David. Now, I've had people upset at me, but I've never had anybody wanting, or a group of people wanting to stone me, not that I know of. And these guys are serious. They've had enough. 
We've been running with you, David, through the wilderness all these years. And now you got us in the Philistine territories. We're making these raids. You've been lying, David. We're in this deception, deceiving, you know, the lords of the Philistines and Achish. And now we've been marching before the Philistines. And as we're gone, our families are gone. Now our homes, our possessions are gone. We have nothing. But David, he has nothing either. He doesn't even have any friends anymore. And David, as we saw in our previous study, right as the last time that he saw Saul, that he had opportunity to kill Saul. And he said, Saul, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to do evil against you. And it was David that said to Saul, but you've taken my inheritance. Saul, you've taken my inheritance. I don't have a home. You're pursuing me through the wilderness. My family is over in Moab. His, his father and his brothers were over there in Moab because Saul was going to come after them and probably do them in. I can't go home to my wife. And, and David, picking up more wives here, they're traveling with him. And so David has gone through a lot, and now he's at a low point of his life. I think that David here, as we look at verse 6, begins to truly repent. And he understands that the deception and the compromise is caught up with him that they've been on this wild goose chase for 16 months now, and David needed to go to the Lord and strengthen himself in the Lord. There's a couple of comments I'd like to make concerning verse 6. Number one is that we've talked about this going through 1 Samuel, that if there is sin, compromise, if there's deception that is in your life, there are things going on that are not pleasing to the Lord, it's going to catch up with you. Your sin will find you out. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you're sowing seeds of corruption of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you're sowing seeds of the spirit of everlasting life, you're going to reap a spiritual good life is what Galatians chapter 6 tells us. None of us are exempt from that. And we can be deceptive. We can compromise. We can be involved in sin. And no matter how little or how big, eventually Whatever it is that you're sowing today, you're going to reap tomorrow. And I think David is understanding this. And what David does is he turns to the Lord and he strengthens himself in the Lord his God, which means he also repented because the Lord begins to speak to David. And David is going to begin to get right with the people of Judah, as we see, and he's going to leave the Philistines. But I also want to bring another point, and it's simply this. That in our lives that we will go through difficult times and we will go through hard times. And it may not be because of sin at all because in this world we will have tribulation, Jesus said. It's a fallen world that we live in and we go through loss and we go through grief and we go through hardships and we go through hurt. And when you go through those times where you're greatly distressed, the key for you, for me, is to strengthen yourself in the Lord and go to Him. And in those times, oftentimes we can turn to something else or turn to the world or try to rely on our own understanding or try to move forward in our own strength rather than going to the Lord and be strengthened by Him. It is a key for us in our lives. And even in those times where we're so greatly distressed or grieved, where we can't even really express words, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit takes those groanings that we have and translates them for the Lord. He knows your heart, but you go to Him because He's your strength and pavilion. He's your refuge. He's your strong tower. He's your protector. He's your help. 
your very present help, which means today, to help you and strengthen you. And that's what David did. And that was the difference between David and Saul. Saul didn't do that. He didn't truly call out to the Lord. He wasn't sensitive to the Lord and desiring to please the Lord. And David at this point realizes that I need to strengthen myself in the Lord. I need to go to you, Lord. And so that's what he does. And if we don't do that, we're going to continue to struggle in, in the difficulties that we're in. In verse 7, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I purpose or pursue, that is, this, this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. What a comforting word that God gives to David. It's a promise that all will be recovered. Not some, but all, David. And as you and I, as we search God's word, we are strengthened and encouraged by his word, by his promises given to us. And I know that you may be thinking, as I once again quote from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Pastor Jeff, you, you quote that oftentimes, but it's such a comforting verse that he promises God to work all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. But remember that Paul goes on to write that his purpose is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we humble ourselves to him, as we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him, as we surrender completely to him, God is going to work for good somehow, some way. But remember this, that God sees things in eternity's values and views. And we see things so oftentimes in the temporal. But Jesus Christ came and died for us. The Father has already given us the very best, His Son. And if He's given us the very best, His Son, who came and died for us, that we receive that uh, salvation, forgiveness of sin, as we surrender to Him and come in faith, we've received the very best right there. But know this, that God wants to continue to do the very best for you because you are His child. And you may not understand it all the time when you're in the middle of the crisis or tribulation or difficult circumstance, but you can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I stand on your promises. I know you're with me. You won't leave me or forsake me. And Lord, I can trust you with my life and rest in your love. And that's what David is doing. And the Lord says, you know what, David? You're going to recover all. And I'm going to work. I haven't forsaken you. And I am so thankful for God's incredible grace and love that, Lord, I've been an idiot over this last day or week or whatever. And, and I've been trying to do things in my own understanding. I haven't really been seeking you. But when I go to him as a child, humbled before him, repentive, as I go to him, yielded to him once again, a loving father that receives me, and his word is still working in my life and true for me. So David here, verse 9, he went and he and his 600 men who were with him and came to Brook Bashor. And there they stayed who were left behind. And David pursued he and 400 men for 200 stayed behind who were so worried they could not cross the Brook Bashor. And so 600 men go from wanting to stone him to now following him. Did you notice that in a few verses? Because David has now sought the Lord and received instructions of the Lord. Listen, this is important. If you're called to lead husbands, fathers, parents, 
you who perhaps supervise people at work, you who are involved in ministry and ministering to others, if you're called to lead, then there needs to be you seeking the Lord and receiving instructions to the Lord. And then those who are following you, I mean, we all follow the Lord. But others who in perhaps submission to you, following you, they can do it in confidence. Husband, your wives are called, wives be submitted to your husbands as unto the Lord is the qualifier. And husbands, as you are, are seeking the Lord, can your wife say, my husband is, is searching the Lord and he's desiring to please the Lord. He has a heart for the Lord. He's praying. He's wanting to do what's best for me and, and the kids. She's going to have confidence then to follow after you. If you're leading a business or you're a supervisor and you're saying to the people that you're working with, you know what, we're going to do things honestly and with integrity and have real character, then people are going to follow after you in confidence because they see that. In ministry, I know that as the pastor, you need to have the confidence that I'm desiring to seek the Lord and hear from the Lord and follow after the Lord. So here they go from wanting to stone him to now following him because he has sought the Lord and has received the word of the Lord. In verse 11, when they found an Egyptian in the field, they brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, he his strength came back to him for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I am young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion in the south area of the Cherethites in the territory that belongs to Judah in the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. So the Egyptian is left behind for dead. This Egyptian serving the enemy, the Amalekites, he is left for dead, and he is practically dead because he hasn't had any water for three days and three nights. And they say, That's pretty much when you're going to die without having that water down in the desert area. And so David finds him and revives him, refreshes him, saves him. And now this man who's an Egyptian is serving David. And this man who is not named, and I'm glad that he's not named, because you know why? Because that is us. We're the Egyptian. We're this Egyptian, Egypt being a picture of the world. And we are in the world. And we are serving the enemy. And know that the enemy, that he's a master deceiver, he's a liar. Jesus called him a murderer. And know that the enemy, Satan, wants to leave you for dead. That's what his desire was for you and for me. Now we belong to the Lord. But for those of the world, he desires to leave them from dead. He's a master counterfeiter and deceiver. He's going to seem like an angel of light coming to people who are dead spiritually, as Ephesians chapter 2 deceiving them, blinding them. Hey, I'll give you pleasure. I'll offer you this. But know that the end result of the enemy is he always wants to leave us for dead. But praise God for the son of David, the greater than David, Jesus Christ, who found us and saved us, as Ephesians says. But he has made us alive as we've been forgiven of sin. And now we serve him, don't we? 
So it's a beautiful picture, really, of, of you and me as we come to Christ. We were left for dead by the enemy. He wants to try to keep people from coming to Christ. But I'm so thankful that the Lord has touched my heart and your heart. And now we're saved, and now we serve Him. He's refreshed us. We've been watered, you know, with the, the Word of God. Jesus said, come to me and drink, and out of your belly will flow torrents of living water. I'm the bread of life. Come and eat of me. I pray that we're serving him wholeheartedly. And always at awe, just as we were singing tonight, how great is our God. Do we really ponder that oftentimes? Because we would have been left for dead if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. So verse 16, and when he had brought him down, there they were spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. Verse 19, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either Small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which had been taken from them, David recovered all. And then David took all the flocks and the herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So David routes the Amalekites, recovers all the spoils that had been taken. All was recovered. I'm so thankful that the Lord is the one that restores. Joel says that he restores the years that the locusts have eaten. That's the work of the Lord. And I think that a lot of us in this room, we can look and we can see how the locusts have eaten certain things in our lives and we've experienced loss, maybe because of sin, maybe because of disobedience, maybe we didn't know the Lord. Or maybe just because we went through hardship and difficulty. But know this, that God is the God of restoration. And I'm so thankful for that. And He's the one that will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And He will restore that which is lost. And he sees you and he loves you. And we can trust in him. And David, he recovered all that he had lost. In verse 21, David came to the 200 men who had been so worried that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Beshore. So they went out to meet David, to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. David, once again, is speaking of the Lord. He's trusting in the Lord. He's given glory to God. In verse twenty. For, for who will heed you in this manner? But as this part who goes down to the battle, so also his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. The spoils would be distributed equally among those who fought and those who supported, those who stayed behind with the supply, those who were too tired to go to battle. There's a very, very important principle in this. And that is that some are going to water, some are going to plant, but God gives the increase. That in the body of Christ, we're all called to do different things. But know this, that as we participate in what God has given us opportunity in serving and in giving, 
that know that there's going to be reward for you. For example, for me, I may come to church here and day after day, it seems like I'm on the front lines. I'm doing the battles of the ministry. I'm meeting with people and there's problems and there's difficulties and counseling and challenges and all of this. And I don't go home and say to my wife, Sue, well, you know, you're with the home with the kids and, you know, you're keeping the house and, and keeping, you know, the kids and supporting me, but you're not going to get anything. No, it isn't that way at all. You see, her ministry to me is very, very important, what she does. And it, the fruit that abounds from this ministry is going to be given to her account. Do you see what I mean? I couldn't do what I do here and do the calling that God has given to me without her support and her love and, and her doing what God has called her to do, and that is to be at home and to be with the kids and, and, and to support me and, and to encourage me. You see what I mean? And there may be some that they may be limited in what they can do, but you can pray and you can give and you can serve in opportunities or perhaps what the Lord has given you opportunity to do, and that's just as important as what God has called me to do. Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the Philippian church, he was thanking them for the gift that that he had received from them, and it allowed Paul to minister full-time. And as Paul's writing to them, he's thanking them, and he says that the fruit that abounds from my ministry will be accounted to you as well. That is, there's going to be heavenly reward for you as you give and allow me to be here in full-time so I can do the work of the ministry. As we're able to keep the lights on and, and the heat going and the air conditioning going this summer and you know, have the pastoral staff and the administrative staff that is here, it's a tremendous blessing. And as you give financially, it's going to abound to your account, the fruit that abounds here. You're partnering with us. You're going to participate in the spoils. You know, the inheritance of heaven belongs to you as well, and the rewards are going to be given to you. So praise God for that. And remember, as you pray, as you give of your prayers and you say, you know what, I can pray for Pastor Jeff, I can pray for the church, I can pray for the families, you're going to be rewarded. Jesus said, great is your reward. As you help out in practical ways behind the scene and as you minister to the children in the nursery and ushering and in the coffee shop and handing out bulletins, great is your reward. And the fruit that abounds from this ministry, uh, it's going to go on your account in the heavenlies. So here's David giving a very important principle here in verse 26. Now when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoils to the elders of Judah to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord and those who are in Bethel and those in Ramoth to the south and those in Jatire. And you can go through and read. There's 13 names that are there. Verse 31 as we finish. And those who are in Hebron, that's down south. And to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. So David knew that his time with the Philistines, I think, he really had strained his relationship with God's people in Judah. So he wants to make things right. 13 cities that are listed here. He's going to share in the spoils. He doesn't just take it all for himself. He wants to give to them. He wants to bless them. I know that what God has blessed me with, I want to be able to share with others. I wanted to be able to bless others, and I hope we have that same mindset. God has given us so much. We can give the gospel. We can pray for them. We can help in practical ways as God gives you opportunities. I pray that what God has blessed us with, that we desire to bless others as we have opportunity. 
In chapter 31, as we finish the book now, we read, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. So here they are falling on Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is right in the middle of the country. You can go to Mount Gilboa, and you can stand on Mount Carmel or at Megiddo, and you look clear across the valley, and there's Mount Gilboa. So the Philistines had, you know, as they warred against Israel, Israel being defeated soundly, and it is the Philistines that have gone deep into Israel's territory. They were in retreat. And again, part of this was because that the Philistines grew strong because Saul was so much involved and prioritized in, in going after David. He didn't care about defending you know, Israel, defending Judah against the Philistines. He neglected his responsibilities. And so the Philistines got strong over the years and thousands of troops. And now we see that again, that um, the Philistines being strong and Saul being the leader is full of fear. He's scared. And they're in retreat here. In verse 2, Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadad and Malchishua, Saul's sons. Here the Philistines are pursuing Saul, kill his three sons, including Jonathan. Jonathan was one that, Jonathan was a godly man. Jonathan did not join in with his father in pursuing David. Matter of fact, Jonathan, as we saw, made a covenant with David. Jonathan and David having that special relationship. We saw in chapter 14 that it was Jonathan was such a man of faith. He, he's the one that went over to the Philistine garrisons and said, let's just see what the Lord might do as he was talking to his armor bearer. Because the Lord, nothing restrains him from working. He can save with many or with few. And it was Jonathan that led a rout against the Philistines that day. He was a man of faith. And he saw that David was a man of faith and they, they were strong. They were friends their souls were knitted together, as 1 Samuel tells us. And so here is, is Jonathan, this godly man, that his life ends very tragically as he's fighting for the nation. Saul, Saul his life ends very tragically as well. A couple points here as we finish tonight, and then we'll finish the account of how it is that they ended up dying and what takes place. But here is Saul, a man who started out well, but his life ends very tragically, full of fear, not hearing from the Lord because of his rebellion, a hard heart, a bitter man. I pray that that doesn't happen to any of us. That we would understand how blessed that we are and so thankful to the Lord. And you see, that's a real key for you and for me. Be thankful unto Him and to remember what He has done for us and to go to the Lord and be teachable and have a soft heart before Him. But here was Saul that was full of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and malice and, and focused on himself. And we see the end result of that. And he died a very, very tragic death with a hard heart and a bitter heart. And it's a very important lesson for us to learn as we go through this book. It, it just, you know, screams at us what can happen if there are things in our lives, perhaps 
envy or bitterness or jealousies or unforgiveness. Sunday in Mark's gospel, we're going to see that Jesus is going to say that you need to forgive just as your Father has forgiven you. And what can happen is we get bound up in those things and those things grow in our hearts, the bitterness and jealousies and stuff, and can overtake us. And I pray that wouldn't happen to any of us. That If there's anything here tonight that you know attitudes or things that have been plaguing you, maybe there's sin, that you would give it to the Lord and confess it and truly, truly, Lord, I want to repent from this and help me and cry out to him and he will hear you. But don't continue any longer in that because your heart will become more hard and so much energy is put into that rather than the things of the Lord and being thankful to the Lord. Saul shows us what happens when we allow those things to continue in our hearts. And here's the other thing that is very tragic. He led his family. He led his family into this. And his son Jonathan was a man who loved God. And that's a tragedy in itself. One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything, and I say this with real sadness, is when I have somebody come in and said, you know what, my husband just got arrested because, you know, he's been selling drugs or you know, he's drinking and, and got in trouble or, you know, he, he got fired from his job because of deception or he fell into sin and now, you know, we got this mess on our hands. And see, when we sin, it isn't just about us. It affects a whole lot of people around us. And we drag our families, our spouses into it and people that we love into it. And that's what Saul did. A whole lot of people got hurt. The priests were killed. There are others that, that he, you know, was so irrational towards. And now he leads his three sons into this battle because he's full of fear and he's full of anxiety. He's not hearing from the Lord. And if he had only repented and turned to the Lord, the Lord promised, I will protect my people if you follow after me. But yet he didn't do that. Fathers, again, husbands, those of us who lead, are we going to lead the people that we minister to to victory and blessing? And if not, they're going to pay a heavy price. And so here is the death of his sons. And then we see as verse 3, the battle became fierce against Saul and the archers hit him and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and he fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons, his armor-bearer and all his men died together that same dead. So Saul now is killed. Doesn't want to be tortured or fall into the hands of the enemy. So he falls on his sword. His armor bearer sees he's dead and falls on his sword. Now, when we get into 2 Samuel chapter 1, this account here is going to be given to us, but there's going to be some additional information given to us, and it seems like there's a contradiction uh, in it, but we're going to talk about that. You've got to wait till we get to 2 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll talk about those things because it's going to be an Amalekite that's going to come and said, well, I'm the one that actually killed Saul. So what's going on there? Well, you can read ahead. So, but we'll talk about it next time. So here Saul dies in, in battle in his armor bearer. And it's finally over for David. God dealt with Saul. 
And if you're here tonight, and maybe there's been a Saul in your life, I pray that you would have the mindset that David did. You see, when David gets news that Saul died, he's going to grieve for Saul. And that we would keep things in godly perspective that, you know what? When somebody really is full of bitterness or envy or something, they're really hurting themselves. They really are. Yes, they can cause pains and problems to you and stuff, but, but keep it in perspective. And know that, again, they're not going to get away with it. Eventually, it's going to catch up with them. But for you and for me to continue to pray for those people, as hard as it is, pray for the souls in your, in your life. And you lift them up to the Lord, and hopefully they'll turn to the Lord. Because what will happen is what happened to Saul if they continue in it. They're not getting away with this, what I'm saying. So keep things in the heavenly perspective. And, and here his three sons are, are dead. He's dead. In verse 7, when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came up to stri- strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the temple of the Asterisks, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan, or according to Joshua, it's Bethshean. Bethshean would end up being one of the cities of the Decapolis that the Romans went in, you know, a thousand years later after this, and they built a beautiful city that is there. And you can go there and visit it in Israel today. And now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So you remember in chapter 11 that it was the man of Jabesh-Gilead that one of the chapters that gave the highlight concerning you know, Saul and his ministry. He saved the men of Jabesh-Gilead from the Amorites, and, and it was you know, a great victory, and Saul gave the glory to God. These men remember that, and so the Philistines disgraced the corpse of King Saul and his sons, pinned their bodies to the wall of beth cut their heads off, and it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead that they traveled all night long, And they risked their lives to give a proper burial to Saul and his sons. And we'll see in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that David's going to thank those valiant men for doing that. So we have 1 Samuel. Incredible book. Many lessons that we've learned. And Father, we pray that tonight, as we've gone through these chapters and looked at the life of Saul and looked at the life of David, that we've learned so much. And Father, the the lesson is to continue to just abide in you and just, Lord, that we would continue to look to you and give our hearts to you. Father, I pray that tonight, if any of us here, well, we just got a few moments, that Lord, that things maybe aren't right, maybe attitudes or maybe struggles of sin or carnality or hiding things or deception or Lord just not really looking to you 
consistently and daily. Lord, that we would just confess that to you. Lord, we don't want to end up moving in the direction that Saul did. We want to be like Paul. When Paul at the end of his life said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I, I've finished my race. That Lord, as we run our race, as Hebrew declares, to put every weight and sin aside, just put it aside, and Lord, to keep our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. Because Jesus set his eyes on the cross and has saved us and forgiven us. The enemy wanted to leave us for dead, but the work of Jesus Christ has saved us, and I thank you for that. And I pray that tonight, if there's anybody hearing this message, it's maybe here that there needs to be a commitment to Christ truly, that you can do that right now, knowing that Jesus is the only one that can save you. You can't save yourself. We've earned eternal separation from God because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall surely die, the scripture says, but Jesus Christ came to take care of the sin problem for you. He died for you. He loves you. And he demonstrated his love for you while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And you give your heart to Jesus Christ. You surrender. You come in faith. You repent is what the scripture says. Quit going in the direction you're going and turn to him. And you pray, Jesus, come into my heart and Lord, forgive me of my sin. I confess that I am a sinner. And Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Be my Lord and Savior. I surrender to you right now. I believe that you are the Son of God who died for me. Thank you for dying for me and that you're alive because you rose from the grave. For those of us who perhaps that, Lord, as we belong to you, and I know that most of us do in this room, that we would desire to please you with our lives and have a heart after you just as David did. We don't want to look at his failures and, and his compromise and, and think of it as an excuse for us to do those things, but, Lord, a lesson not to go that direction and look at the things that made David a man after God's own heart, and that is coming to you and confessing and, Lord, strengthening ourselves in you on a daily basis. May we do that right now. Lord, knowing that you're a loving Father, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that as we come and we confess, Lord, as needy children, that you, a loving Father, responds 